Welcome to The Fear of God, episode 43. We are having a conversation every single week about the intersection of Christianity and the horror genre. And having that conversation is uh, myself, I'm one of your co-hosts, Reed Lackey, and... Myself, your other co-host, Nathan Rouse. I love <laughs> that intro, Reed. It made me feel like I should jump out of a, a, a curtained door, you know, a big curtained <laughs> You know, entryway, like a proscenium or something, or like a cake. <laughs> yes, I appreciate that intro. How you doing, buddy? Doing pretty good, pretty good. I'm excited to be having this conversation. This is always... Are you sure you're not just saying that? No, this I'm not, mean... actually. All right. You know, on All a right. day like today, you know, peek behind the curtain, listeners. Uh, on a day like today, when I haven't had the best of days, you know, it's 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 good to... Like, it feels good. You're you're one of my best friends. You're, my, you know, probably my longest standing friend of like you know nearly two decades and yeah. it's good to it's good to get together and chat movies and chat faith and yeah. be silly and yeah it's great i enjoy yeah it. well we got the silly coming um <laughs> no you know, so buckle up for that uh, we're gonna hop on this uh hop on the train and uh let the silly <laughs> run wild so reed um do you want to remind the people about the homework yes so okay so Thank you very, very much, listeners, for submitting your nominations for Hashtag I Love the 90s, which will be coming in October. We have received, uh, as of this recording, more than 80 distinct films that have been nominated for the favorite horror films of the 90s. So, um, we want to... That's a lot of movies. That is a lot of movies. Um, you will be voting on those to tabulate the ranked list. We'll give you instructions on that uh, uh, several episodes from now. Just want to let you know, if you want a film to be considered to be nominated, we're just pulling from your nominations. So if you want a film to be nominated, you don't want it to be overlooked, uh, then submit uh, your list to fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word. Email us at fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. You have until July 1st. We're giving you a cutoff date of July 1st. Um, if you are listening to this and it is not yet July 1st, then please send us your list. Um, but if it's past that, then just wait for instructions on how to rank them. But, uh, yeah, we're very, very, I'm very excited. This list has already got some diversity to it that I was not expecting. So I'm really excited to get into the ranked list and to have the whole series in general. I'm really looking forward to it. That's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. That's, uh, that was a good era 
a good decade mm-hmm. uh, for life and for movies. You know, that's that's true. That's true. Um, so, listeners, uh, I think without further ado, it is time for us to dive into what you're watching, mm-hmm. what you're reading. All right, what you're listening to. Come on. That's for you, Scott Roach. I want my five dollars. Okay, you don't want us to. Start, was, you don't want us to keep singing. Then just. I thought he was us, saying. Our- I thought he was saying. You know, five bucks if you don't sing, not five bucks if you do. So, so <laughs> audience, audience engagement moment, uh, gentlemen. Scott Roach on Twitter has challenged us to stop singing and offered us money. <laughs> but see, that's the thing. As we'll find out in our themes today, sometimes you just got to sing. And uh, you like that? You like that? That was like, that was I like perfect. It. perfect. I like it. It's there. a in context perfect yes. reference. That's yes. wonderful. Um, so in the spirit of that, read what are you watching and or what are you reading and or what are you listening to? Aside from actually finally finishing Kimmy Schmidt, I'm only three episodes from season three being done. Um, oh, wow. The biggest thing that I, uh, that I wanted to mention. Yeah. I'm not going to say anything about it because I'm actually further than you in than in the Kimmy Schmidt as much of your that's recommendation. Very, that's very Schmitty of you. <laughs> you but, you uh, clearly have given a Schmidt for a while. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it, and everybody should everybody should watch it because it's it's that's really a funny adorable. Show. Um, but uh, my official, you know, what you're watching, what you're reading, what you're listening to. I, unfortunately, this is going to be very specific to any subscribers out there of the Shutter service, the online streaming horror service Shutter. Um, if you are not subscribed to that, I do highly recommend it. It's a great service. We have it. Um, it's, uh, it's really, it's got a lot of good content on there. They do a good job of finding strong, exclusive material. And speaking of exclusive, there's a director by the name of Rodney Asher who has just launched the pilot episode of a new Shudder only because it's Shudder original programming, uh, called Primal Screen. I wanted to recommend just Rodney Asher's work in general. That's my what you're watching, what you're reading, what you're listening to. Yeah. Um, I wanted to recommend because he's got two very interesting films. One's called Room 237 uh, about, uh, you know, sort of the obsessive nature of fandom over Stanley Kubrick's film The Shining. But then another film that I think you can stream on Netflix called The Nightmare that is horrifying about sleep paralysis. But this primal screen that he started is just 30 minutes long and it's all about sort of exposure to things at a young age and what sort of gets into our subconscious and why we feel afraid of certain things. And but it's even a, just clarify, this, it's a TV pilot or it's a series? It's kind of a, a pilot of a series, of a Shutter original series. So at first we thought it was going to be a film, but then when it was released, uh, IMDb has it listed as a TV series. It's only 27 minutes long and feels very much like an episode of television. So if you do have the Shutter service... Uh, you just need to pop in. It's only gonna be 30 minutes of your time. You need to check out Primal Screen. It is absolutely amazing. It's one of the strongest sort of brief video essays I've seen on any subject in a long while. It's, uh, it's very, very good. So go and check that out. That's interesting. That's my recommendation. That's your, what you're watching. So yeah, I've got a very brief what you're listening to and then a bit more robust what you're watching. Um, so the very brief what you're listening to, Riri, I don't know if you know this. But just yesterday, one of our mutual favorite bands have, for the first time in five years, dropped a single. That is The Killers, which is appropriate for our podcast, have released a single called The Man. And Mm. it's pretty dang, it's pretty dang hot. Yeah. I love The Killers. That's so great. You need to go download The Man and it will make you thump your chest and feel like a man. It's really awesome. It's, it's one of these really fun tunes. 
Um, you'll dance while you're driving and hmm. you'll smile and you'll just feel happy about the world. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to check that out. I didn't know that they had a new album coming. Well, out. it's not, it was kind of, uh, you know, dropped knowledge these days, you know, how the internet does. It's like, Hey, boom. Hey, by the way, killers, new single, new album coming in September. Like nobody yeah. knew that until, I mean, somebody knew it somewhere, just not <laughs> me. The killers knew it. Right, right, right. Um, the other more robust one is Reed. So since last we recorded, The Leftovers has ended. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Wow. The leftovers. Now, did you did you go in with, uh, spoiler alert, skip the next three minutes or so if you don't want to know about the end of The Leftovers. Did you go in with any sort of expectations of, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see what they do with X or this is what the shape of the, the finale is going to be like? Did you have any expectation with that? To be honest, and I'm not being, I'm not just dismissing your question, but I, I actively tried to have no expectations. I literally, the, the show and Lindelof in general have proven to be sort of unpredictable. And so I tried very hard to say like, Hey, I don't, the, the, it might be some esoteric hour long wandering through, just nothingness. Right. And right. I'll be like, okay, well, what did that mean in the context of everything that we've seen? Right, you know? Right. So, um, so yeah, I really tried to actively have no expectations. And as a result, felt really happy about what I got. I was very pleased with the finale. Really, yeah. really happy with it. And the further I get from it and the more I think about it, I'm even happier with it. I just think I thought it was beautiful and wonderful. How do you, how do you personally feel like? For you, the leftovers, I mean, it may be a case of apples and oranges, and I can understand that. Like, as you assess Lost in hindsight and juxtapose that with something like leftovers, are they of a kind with each other? Are they two completely different beasts? Uh, what, 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 how, how do you assess both those together side by side these days? You know, that's a good question. I would say, in answer to it in brief, I would, I would simply say that I, I, I think they are the same animal, but of a different breed. So like you could say you they, could say they're like a they're like a polar bear sort of yeah 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 on a tropical island one's a polar bear one's a grizzly um I think that like like in general Lost obviously had some restrictions in terms of network versus premium network um and I think that Lost is in general speaking uh, more of like personal levels. Than the leftovers is the leftovers is very much not that the leftovers isn't a personal show, but the leftovers is very much like grandiose apocalyptic kind of subject matter. And lost, I feel like was a bit more specific to the journeys of those characters and like, hey, these are these are what it's like for these people to navigate through sort of feeling lost both emotionally and spiritually and and physically. But leftovers feels like it's scratching at something a bit broader and more universal. See, that's funny you said that, because I would say the opposite. I think Lost is a much more broad... Oh, it's interesting. You know, very diverse cast, you know, representation across the board, like, everybody gets their story. I do agree with you that they are similar thematic content, but, mm -hmm. you know, I think Lost is much more broad uh, until it starts to get real sci-fi. I mean, I, I think Leftovers is very esoteric. You know, you either decide you are on board for this extreme emotional journey that right. is going right. to dig at the very bottom of the barrel in terms of, you know, churning up emotions in you, or you're just like, peace, this is too much, you know? Sure. Um, sure. Regardless, they're, they're both pretty, pretty monumental works of art in terms of what they do. I, I think leftovers just kind of straddles this strange line of like, 
there are moments where you can't even believe, like, what am I watching? Why is it mm-hmm. making me feel the way it's making me feel? It's, it's pretty powerful. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that, like, in general, what I walked away with the, with the leftovers, like, I had a conversation with my wife afterwards and she was like, you're having a hard time selling me on this show because I didn't know what to, that's I, funny. I didn't know what to tell her about it because sure. I'm like, on one end, and I would say this to listeners, on one end, I don't want to say like, oh my gosh, it's so amazing. So wonderful. Go in. And then they'd just be devastated by emotions they weren't prepared for. Right. That's possible right. with that yes, show. Yes, very, and very. So I feel a certain degree of responsibility to say like, hey, it, it's dealing with heavy themes and it's dealing with them very honestly, I yeah. think. Yeah. And because of that, that can be really uncomfortable and that can be, it can, it can dredge up things in you that's like, good Lord, I, yes, I know what that, <laughs> I know what that character is feeling right now, even though yeah. I did not suffer anything that that character suffered. But yeah, I mean, it's, it, it really is. I've said this before, I think even on this show, uh, but I know I've said it before about this other show. Um, I've said it before about Downton Abbey that it's just like finishing a really wonderful book. Yeah. And, and just getting to the end of it. Leftovers obviously is nothing like Downton Abbey, but I did have that same feeling where it's like, I've well, just finished complete. a really satisfying. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, I've finished a very satisfying novel esque kind of storytelling. And yeah, it, it's wonderful. Yeah. It's really, really wonderful. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad we were able to be left over together. In the spirit of that, we are going to exit what you watch and what you read and what you're listening to. Um, we're going to exit that hey, little thing. You like that? I was trying to do the fast version. Um, <laughs> and we're going to talk about today's, we're going to jump right in. We're going to hop on the train, um, <laughs> and we're going to ride it as far as we can. There Come may be, ride it, train. And ride it, ooh. uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we weren't kidding. Scott. Yeah. Yeah. It's the all musical, all songs episode. Um, we're going to hop on the train and we're going to ride it through every calamity. Uh, set before us as we today read, discuss the train to Busan. Mm-hmm. So exactly. I, I was aware of this when it hit, um, Netflix. Like I had seen some, and in fact, I don't know if you remember this. I think I'd even suggested to you, like this is before I'd even watched it ever. Um, hey, I think this, it was either you, I think it was you, it may have been you or someone else, but, yeah, I think um, it was. where I'd said like, hey, this is getting some positive buzz out there. I've got a couple of, horror peers unrelated to the podcast actually on Facebook who um were were talking about it and I was like well, that you know that's how it hit my radar but it wasn't that was 6 or 7 months ago um so yeah. it wasn't until the podcast that I finally made the time to watch it had you clearly you'd seen it before the podcast you know right. viewing yes. was that just similar sort of scenario it's getting some buzz I want to check it out Exactly. Um, it had just been highly praised by a number of people. Uh, obviously, when a film makes as much money as this one does, this was officially, this was actually part of my trivial bits, the the film hit a landmark of success. It was the first South Korean film to make more than a million dollars in Singapore theaters, and it's the sixth highest grossing South Korean film of all time. So, it is a it was a money-making behemoth. And a behemoth. Because of how... <laughs> I don't know what a behemoth is. <laughs> um, but it was so popular that, uh, you know, obviously most of the prominent, highly critically praised, highly successful films make it over to America. So a lot of buzz about this one. And I have been a little burnt out on the zombie genre in general. Sure. Sure. Um, just because there's so much out there and Walking Dead just beats it to death every week. But I was, you know, a little bit reticent to see it. But it was one of those things where I was like, okay, a bunch of people are talking about this. A lot of people think it's it's a really good movie. Let me just see what this has to offer me. And I got to say, 
not to move into likes, dislikes yet, but I got to say like about 30 minutes in, I was like, all right, I like, okay, I'm already having a lot of fun. You're like, buckle up self. You are on <laughs> yeah. this train. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's funny you say that because I had intentionally, as I do occasionally, even when it was on the radar six, eight months ago, I didn't sure. pursue knowledge about the content. I just knew the, the screen grab from Netflix or whatever. Um, or the, you know, the, the front of the poster as it were. And so it's funny to hear you articulate what you just did because I think it was the night I watched it and I briefly, like, this is how nerdy I am about, um, synopsis and stuff. Like I, w I didn't even want to read the Netflix synopsis while I'm about to watch it, but I, my eyes just glanced over it. And mm -hmm. for some reason, I don't know if it says the word zombie in it or what, but when that happened, I was like, Oh, well. Okay. You know, like it was that feeling, like what you just described right. of feeling so kind of like meh about the zombie genre at this point that sure. it dampened a little bit going into it, though, sort of like you. And, you know, this, there's something to be said for a foreign language film, which, you know, we should, we should ring a bell somewhere that this is our, finally our first foreign language film we're covering on the show. But, sure, um, sure. There's something to be said about watching a foreign language film that just kind of jars your brain a little bit makes you pay a little closer attention. So you're a bit more active of a watch of a viewer um, right, right. than you might be with something in, you know, just uh, uh, yield English. And so that coupled with just the execution of the film, I was very, I, part of me still sort of wishes like, oh, I wish it sort of hadn't been zombies, but that's like, you know, that, that's a, that's a random, uh, uh, random desire to have. But I think you understand what I mean in the sense that sure, the, sure. the genre at this point with Walking Dead and Fear of the Walking Dead and, you know, follow the Walking Dead and look, there goes but, the Walking yeah. Dead. Like, it's like, okay, everybody, yeah. you know, zombies are everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, Shopping mall of the Walking, oh, yes, the walking yes, Dead. Yes, yes, <laughs> You know, so I, I was a little bummed out by that, but was still very entertained and mm -hmm. surprisingly riveted and, and ultimately much more surprisingly moved by the subject matter Absolutely. of the film. Absolutely. That was one comment I was going to make about this film is that I'm, I was surprised, especially because this is, this is only my second time seeing it, but I, I'm, it, the film has some remarkable emotional payoffs that I, many of them are heartbreaking, but they're heartbreaking and also inspiring. I've seen a number of films, particularly out of South Korea. South Korea is known for, they, they may, there are some tremendous horror films that have come out of South Korea. Um, but a lot of them are deeply, I, I'm reluctant to use the word nihilistic because I don't think that's fair, but they are not, they do not shy away from devastating endings and they do sure. not shy away from just devastating and horrific things happen to their characters. You know, there's, there's, uh, an extreme component to a lot of films that come out of Korea and, it was interesting to me with this film, I felt like it definitely, and maybe that's part of why it crossed over so broadly to American audiences and why some people might ding the film a little bit because they think it might be pandering a bit. But taking all of that away, stripping that all, away, all of that away and just taking the film on its own terms, I think it has some incredible emotional payoffs and is a really rewarding viewing experience. And I was just really surprised to find that from the first and on the rewatch to find that I still felt those same emotional beats. Now, here's a random uh, zombie question. So I don't know that I would have an opinion on this, but you might, you know, there's a lot of uh, competing viewpoints on 
types of zombies. Reed, or mm. do you do you like the shuffling Walking Dead esque <laughs> zombie? Do you like the running Twenty Eight Days Later zombie? Do you like the acrobatic Cirque du Soleil train to Busan zombie? <laughs> Cirque du Soleil zombie. <laughs> um, so these I, guys, these guys are some. They 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 can move. Oh no, kidding! No kidding! Freaky looking. But I would say I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat on your question. Sure, uh, I'm gonna answer fine. it, but I'm gonna cheat. I categorize them differently. So if they are the George Romero, Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, not the Zack Snyder remake, the original Dawn of the Dead, uh, slow, lumbering, shuffling zombie, I call those zombies. Those are zombies. These guys, 28 Days Later, Train to Busan, the Zack Snyder remake of Dawn of the Dead, which I do think is a great movie, those are what I call the infected. So I call the, so I have this sort of distinction in my head of there's zombies and then there's infected. And I just there really of, there really aren't things in your life that you don't think th- thoroughly through, are there? No, no, <laughs> that's there an aren't, impressive there aren't level of uh, specificity <laughs> you've applied. Yeah. Now on Fear the Walking Dead, <laughs> those are proto zombies. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, like, so honestly, like, I don't mind because, like, if I encounter something like a twenty eight days later, I'm just like, oh, so these are infected people. And then if I encounter something, you know, recent but traditional, like Shaun of the Dead, I'm like, oh, these are zombies. So they don't run, they don't have that aggression, but they still eat brains and all this other sort of stuff. Um, so those to me are zombies. I didn't then, know, I didn't know I was getting that when I asked that no, question. You know, no, you people, didn't. people think you and I script this to a T. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that people actually think that, but, uh, <laughs> I really didn't know. I thought I was just asking something pretty straightforward. I didn't know I was getting, uh, no. Sub levels, sub genres. You're welcome. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> Thank you, Maui. Um, <laughs> in the spirit of that, so do you? Ha- well, I guess I should say, you got any more bits to share with us? The only other trivial bit is I found it really interesting that this was the director's first live action film. He had done several films before that, all animated, including. So there was a film, uh, a prequel to this one called Soul Station that is uh, that is actually takes place one day prior to this. Film. And by soul, you mean the city in Korea, not the eminent essence of a human being, right? Exactly. Okay, exactly. Okay. Um, <laughs> that'd, but, be a very, uh, that'd be a very different movie. <laughs> exactly. In fact, I always go back and forth if it's soul or seal, but I think it's soul. But so, uh, yeah, there's a film animated that takes place right before this. His The director's work has all been animated up to this point. Kind of reminded me of Brad Bird, but... It's something that I just found interesting that he's only worked in animated films before, which might explain some of the narrative rhythm of this, because it does have very distinct act breaks, you know, uh, in inciting and propulsive incidents that move it into the next section of the story, if you will. Sure. Um, very, very clearly defined chapters, if you want to, if you want to refer to it. Well, and, and hear me, I haven't seen any of the animation you're referring to, but you talk about, you know, rhythms and what have you. There is also a bit of uh, a kinetic nature to Train to Busan, which sure. is oh, very sure. much an animated, you know, just the energy on screen, as in how these particular infected, if we will, uh, <laughs> move through this through this story. Well, in the spirit of that, um, it feels like we're brushing up against it. Let's let's talk about some likes and dislikes here. Sure, um, sure. I love. I don't know if you caught this, uh, but uh, being the nerd for it that I am. This movie is really kind of an extended ad for Nintendo products. I didn't I catch this. Well, well, yeah. I mean, the the dad at the beginning of the movie gifts her a Wii, a Nintendo Wii, 
Right, right. Remember? Which she already she, has. Right, right. Yeah. Then she she has this real sheepish hangdog kind of look like, oh, dad. <laughs> and, you know, pans over to the Wii she already owns. Well, then on the train itself, the titular train, she is playing a 3DS, which is a Nintendo handheld device. So, yeah. I didn't they pick just, up on that. Oh, my well, gosh. Because yeah. I'm a nerd and I've got kids who have a 2DS, who have a regular DS. And so... We, you know, we, we, we went the cheap route and didn't get the 3DS. <laughs> um, so that was just kind of a fun, like, oh, well, okay. For, you know, product placement here. I can dig that. <laughs> um, I loved, so, so this is my first time seeing it. So, so you're getting like real, real time kind of like things I liked and disliked. I loved the initial scenes of the movie. Um, I, I can't think of another movie. I know I've seen movies like this before, but I, none are coming to, immediately to mind. This convention where characters you're following are really clueless, but something real traumatic is happening. You know sure, what I mean? Like, sure. Oh, yeah. That's a, oh, that's yeah. a really fun convention to play with in a story. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I'm thinking specifically of like the scene of them at the red light mm, and some stuff's mm-hmm. going on. There's just this general sense of foreboding. Like you as the viewer are like, Something is jacked up because I glanced across the synopsis on Netflix and they said zombies. So I know something crazy is coming, but these people <laughs> don't know anything. Go play your Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. One of the one of the notes that I wrote down, pun intended, that the narrative is so propulsive, like the pacing is electric. I, I'm I'm more than halfway through this film before I realize anything's, you know, like, wow, I didn't realize this movie's more than halfway over. I feel like it's just such a I mean, I, I know that it's about a train. So the puns right. are. Right. Just at hand, but it just moves. It moves so well. Nice. And <laughs> you like a, like a locomotive. Faster than a speeding locomotive. But I, you know, I also think, I don't know why. I feel like this film has a lot of things that I have seen in other places, versions of this same thing, like the father daughter dynamic. I've seen that before. I've seen that father daughter sort of journey where he's a workaholic, really absentee father. Now thrust into a situation where he has to sort of come into his own as a dad. Like, like so, in Hook. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, like in every major film from the 80s, apparently. Um, but like, like I've seen those tropes before, but in this film, they just work for me. They just, they, you know, I, they didn't feel too cliched. They just, they just work really well for me. You've got your sort of your, your generally just good guy who's tough and, and is awesome and he can, Pounce through the zombies, martial arts style. He was pretty awesome. He was, man. Um, you talking, talking about the husband of the pregnant lady? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, my yeah, gosh, yeah. he's yeah. he's so great. Has some of my favorite moments in the movie. So you know that's a kind of a. But I'll acknowledge that that's a kind of a cliched character. But it didn't bother me. I felt it really worked in this film. And I feel like that's one general like that I would blanket over the entire film is I feel like it's dealing with a lot of very familiar tropes. But somehow either it's either it's in the execution that the execution is so clean and straightforward that it works really well or there's something subtextual in you know sort of the heart of the filmmaker or the the creative team in place it just it just really works like the film just really works very well in even bypassing elements that you would say well of course there's a you know a high school sports team that you know you've got this guy and this girl and they're the only two survivors of it and of course they're doomed themselves you know all these different things that you would say like of course there's a pregnant lady right exactly all these things that you would all these elements that somebody if somebody nitpicked and said like well there's this there's this there's this i would say i know but for me it worked i didn't mind it at all i never once rolled my eyes well but it makes me think of um 
Cabin in the Woods almost, although Cabin in the Woods was meant to be subversive. Like, there is a way in which a movie like this, like, it needs to establish certain things very quickly. Right, right, right. And so using those archetypes does that. Like, sure. whether whether you want to nitpick them or not, okay, here's the dad with the estranged daughter. They've got a difficult relationship. Here's the rough and tumble, you know, kind of uh, brusque kind of character with his, oh, that's a pregnant wife. Oh, that's the teeny right. bopper. You know, so you, 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 you're you just kind of checking a checkbox of all the different archetypes, but you're able to, you know, shake up the pot and throw them on a train and see where it takes you. Possibly, <laughs> possibly to Busan. I don't know, you know. Um, <laughs> I did want to hit on a few real quick other likes. I love, I mean, like, what other movie can in context do this where our, our brusque guy, you know, the buff fella, uh, right. when he's trying to recatch the bus or the train, picks up a shield and oh a baton while running alongside the train and just starts busting heads. I was like, it's okay, so great. that guy's badass, um, you know? Like, <laughs> so great. Oh, man, I love that so much. Because that's, yeah, it's so true. Like, I love that guy because... I, you know, even when they're making, I, w- I had in my likes, uh, just the three of them making their way through the, through the cars oh, in the station. That was great. That was great. It's so great. You know, like they just sort of strap up. Sequence. and Very inventive. Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. I love that each different train. It actually reminded me a lot. I think you've seen Snowpiercer. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It reminded like me a lot of that in certain ways. I mean, it's a train. It's all that sort of stuff moving through the cars. But, you know, it's, it's, it's really a, a mark of a good storyteller to make a narrative like this just kind of keep moving and keep working because there's a way it could be really stayed and bored, uh, boring. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's really a really disheartening scene when the business class kicks out the survivors. That's sure. That's a really rough sequence. I'm sure um, we'll talk about that more in themes because that's at the heart of, of are you sure the story of sort of scratching. Sure I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Based on my notes for themes, I'm pretty sure. Ah, yes, yes. <laughs> um, I actually, as a final like, I, I was really impressed by the sensitivity of the shot of the dad ending his life. You know, the, 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 sure, shat- sure. the shadowed image of him, you know, propelling himself off the yeah. car. That that sh- that sh- scene in general is handled so lovingly, and I use that word very deliberately. Like mm-hmm. we see what we don't see for literally any other character. Mm. We see his his right. final thoughts, and how lovely and how how really touching that his final thoughts are of his daughter's first moments. You know that that was just oh yeah 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 good. I wasn't even yes I wasn't even specifically referring to that as much as just the shot of the shadow of him off the train. Right, yes, when he falls off the train. You know, I, I totally agree with you on that, too. Let me ask you a real quick question that could be potentially a dislike. I was thinking about this the other day as I was processing, I was talking about this movie. Do you get the sense, ultimately, I don't care, not as okay. what your what your answer is, but what, because I enjoyed the movie so much, it's not going to bother me either way, but is it a little cheap that, do you, do you get the impression that he intentionally puts his hand in businessman's mouth? You know what I'm talking about at the end? Yeah. And you know, it's funny on the second watch, I, I, I paid attention to that moment and there is, you could read the scene in a way that says like, I'm not going to let him bite her. Correct. I'm going to make right. sure he bites me and right. not her. Right. Um, you could read the scene that way. If somebody else was just like, no, he's just trying to grapple him and trying to pull him back. I'm not going to sort of throw down the gauntlet and say, like, no, it's definitely one way or another. But I think you could definitely read the scene that way where it's like, I'm not going to let him bite her. I'm going to let him 
bite me and sort of lead him over this right. way. I definitely got that impression. It could be read either way, but I think you would not be falsely reading it to read it the way you just yeah. described. Well, and I think I think if you really wanted to take it to task and nitpick it to death, like there's part of me that's like, okay, narratively, is that a requirement in that moment? I don't know that it right. really is. Um, right, right. You know, but it doesn't bother me as it ultimately was. Cause, cause I knew, okay, this is the point you're going for. Sure. And I, I'm kind of along, uh, I'm on board, if you will, uh, <laughs> for the thematic sort of intentionality they were going for. Anyway. The railroad funds um, are abundant. Um, yes. Yeah. Well, and on that, let me say this, uh, say it. as, as a way to just as a sort of a final note on that. As I've said, I've seen easily maybe a dozen films coming out of South Korea, like, uh, horror films. They tend to be very bleak. They tend to be da- very dire. I was expecting a completely different ending to this film. I was ex- I, b- because of what I know of the films, the horror films that are generally made, uh, South Korean sensibilities. I was expecting utter bleakness for this film, and especially like when the when the dad died and all that stuff. I was like, oh, this is where we're going. Like you know, the, all these comments about class and everything like that. Like like we're going this totally you know downcast direction. And as a result of that, the final scene makes me straight up... The first time I watched it, I I darn near blubbered. Like, I got so emotional. And even this second viewing around, I got so, like... It just catches me. And and I'm so moved by what happens in that final scene. It makes me cry, you know. And and that's something that I just was not prepared for in a film that has these other sensibilities throughout it. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I just... I adored this film. I thought this film was great. Good. I'm glad to hear it because I'm, I'm with you there. So, uh, as we, as we segue into our normal discussion of things of the scary variety, I will say that I loved, it's not a scare in the like jump scare, whatever kind of sense, but it's just, at least it's an image I am kind of unfamiliar with. You may say, you may be able to point to other points of reference for it, but the deer at the very beginning. It's so great. That's, That's so great. great. And I, I yeah. want to add to our zombie lexicon. So you distinguished between zombie and ultimately infected. I'm going to add to the, you know, to the canon here, the zombiest, if you will, you know, <laughs> that we've got this deer here who comes, comes right back to, lo- well, comes right back to unlife, if you will. Yeah, right, right. That is such a, that's such an effective foreboding shot. Yes. Like it, it was, it, it's a perfect way to introduce like, oh, this is what we're dealing with. Okay. Right, right, Just that right. close up on its eyes and it's, oh man. Yeah, it's really effective. I, I loved it. I, absolutely I think, loved it. I think one other, I'll throw out here. Sorry to interrupt you there. Um, no, I think fine. one other that was just really, Again, are they scary? Are they just powerful images? You know, we, we could sort of hash that out if we wanted to, but I wrote military zombies. I mean, that sequence when they get to the train, the, the middle of the movie train station they're at, and sure. they think they're okay. Oh, sure. And then all of a sudden this horde of, I'm sorry, military infected. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that, that really wasn't me being a smarty pants. I just wanted to make sure we're all on the same page here. <laughs> uh, all, all on the same train. Uh, that was a really, really striking image. Oh, of course. Well, and I, I, my scares in general are just, I think the zombie attacks are really unnerving. And, yeah. and I had that feeling the first time I watched it. And I had the feeling the second time I watched it, the, like when the zombies, the infected start to break out on the train, 
Yeah. And and people start like running away from them. I'm immediately just like, man, this is great. The, the music, the the editing, everything just sort of works together and makes you immediately sort of like, okay, here we go. Like, this is what we're having. And everything calms down. There's a nice rhythm to it. Everything sort of settles in. And then they get to Dejan Station and it's like, oh, no. <laughs> Yeah. Here, all of these, all of these beasts come around the corner. I mean, it just does a really good job of developing the tension. Good lord, yeah. that, that that moment, and the, I don't know if this is a likes dislikes or if this is a scare, but the moment in Dijon Station where they're all sort of—I don't know if it's Dijon, like the mustard, or Dijon. I po- apologize, listeners, for my butchering. <laughs> for my clearly, butchering you forgot of, all of your Korean studies uh, <laughs> from Gardner Webb. Um, I sincerely. All facetious to aside, I apologize. You can just any. say the middle of the movie station. <laughs> yes, the middle of the movie station where he realizes that the infected are all swarming in on them. He looks back and his poor daughter is standing oh, there all alone. And, and he just sort of slow motion is desperate to get back to her. And then, you know, our resident badass comes in and elbow clocks the guy that's, that's going to get. Oh, my that's gosh. Great. It's so great. And that's what I mean by this film has a solid number of strong emotional payoffs that's a really big immediate emotional payoff to that moment because you don't want it to go the horror way you want somebody to step in and like save the day and and so you get that you know it's just it's just really well constructed as a film i think it it really works well for me and that's really all i have in the way in in terms of scares is just that the 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 zombie attacks are very effective and they creep me out and they're nerve-wracking and i the first time i watched it i nearly bit my knuckles down to the nubs yeah nubby <laughs> knuckles yeah um yeah that's i mean you know yes I, I, <laughs> I, I i could i could pull out all different sort of images from the movie and, and talk about how they're freaky and stuff but the general sense of zombies on a train i, I think you saw this on on my facebook that said i just came up with a bunch of subtitles for the movie that <laughs> One of them is what's with all these mother effing zombies on this mother effing train, you know, and, and, and throw, throw zombie from the train. Oh my know. gosh. It's so great. Yeah. It's true. Come on, ride that train and ride it choo choo, but with C H E W instead of C H O O. Oh, yeah, I can just go. No. I can just keep going. Yeah, oh yeah. no. Those now are scary. Those are scary. Yep. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that's, oh, that's great. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's. You're just saying that. I am just saying it. Um, <laughs> just but, I, but, but I'm okay with that. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it, it's one of those films. I would almost be yeah, sure with with zombies slash infected. You firmly categorize this as a horror film, but it almost has the rhythm and pacing of an action film, almost, and it kind of has that sort of emotional beat to it. Well, it's it's funny you say that because the scene when the trio starts busting heads in the train cars. Right. I was right. like, this is awesome. We just yeah, we oh, just yeah. entered like just just action um, almost martial arts kind of zombie movie. This is very sure. fun and very cool. Do you have we sh- this would have been an, a top of the episode sort of question, but um it doesn't matter. It's here. We're talking. Do you sure. have like a favorite zombie Film and I'm I'm using oh, that gosh. word blanket. Um, I'm sure. including the infected and zombies along. Right, right, right. <laughs> I mean, for pure enjoyment, I'm going to go Shaun of the Dead. I love Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, that's a great. Uh, that's for a great for movie. pure enjoyment factor, I mean, I think if I were making a comment about best, I got to give it up. For I, well, the, I said favorite, but yeah, exactly. But Shaun of the Dead would be my favorite category. I got to give some love to George Romero, who kind of created you like those. I do like yeah. those, especially like. Night of the Living Dead, the original, and I like Dawn of the Dead. It's been years since I've seen Day of the Dead. I didn't care for it very much when I saw it. 
and same thing for Land of the Dead. I've seen all of them, but the ones that I remember more prominently are Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead, both of which I really adore. I love both of those films. But yeah, as in terms of like the zombie film, when somebody's like, hey, what's your favorite zombie film? The first one that comes to mind is always Shaun of the Dead. I love Shaun of the Dead so much. I do, Such I do love that movie. I think uh, if we're not going comedy... Me being the horror novice between the two of us, I've got a deep affection for 28 Days Later. I really dig that movie. Yeah, and that's one that has grown in my esteem as time's gone on, but my first viewing of it, I didn't care very much for it. I, I didn't like I, it very much. I didn't mean to walk into this, because again, we don't script these things. I remember that. I think yeah. I actually had to talk you in at a later date to be like, hey, give this another chance. Yeah, you're right. And that. when I did, um, I did have a stronger appreciation for it. I have a stronger appreciation for it now. Um, I'd be excited to revisit it, possibly in context of the show uh, right. at some point. But, uh, but yeah, I, I do think that I misjudged that film. I think there was just an expectation bias, you know, where I was just not really sure what I was going to get. And, and uh, well, as Danny I'm, Boyle tends to do, he broke the mold. You know? I'm, I'm proud of you for being able to admit that. Of course. Of you've, course. Come, you've come a long way. In the spirit, in the spirit of admitting things and coming a long way, let's, let's, you know, get into the rich, meaty, thematic marrow of this movie. Let's move the train as, further um, down the track. As let's, 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 let's pull it into the station, really. Oh, I mean, okay. Here we go. Oh, maybe we're not quite there yet. Maybe pumpkins, David Pumpkins will get us pulled <laughs> into the station, but I'm, I'm going to turn it over to you if you've got something specific. Sure, to sure, with. sure. Yeah. The main thing that I wanted to mention, obviously there's the, there's the on the nose themes of class division. That's, that's heavy in the narrative of the film where you have the people who are very, you know, sort of more elite. Uh, they're sit they're sitting all together, and they don't want the infected coming in and potentially, you know, absorbing them. But I think for me, you know, I wrote down that it was like this class division, superiority, inferiority thing because that one guy, the homeless oh, man. The wor- oh, okay. Well, that guy is awful. That yeah, yes, that guy is the worst. worst. Um, but <laughs> when they're when they're looking at the homeless guy near the beginning and. Right. They make that almost slide comment like, you know, hey, if you if you flunk out of school, you're going to wind up like this guy, you know. And I appreciate this film for kind of calling that out where she looks at him and says, you know, my mom says people who say that are bad people, <laughs> you know. Right, right. And, uh, and it's like, oh, she probably never finished. <laughs> she probably <laughs> finished school. Um, but like, you know, I kind of want to I kind of want to divert away from the more obvious class division, superiority, inferiority issue both of economics and education though i think that is in the narrative and just move into more of a for me what i carried away really in the second viewing is caring for yourself versus caring for others in times of crisis mm-hmm. and the challenge of you know looking out for number one which is definitely the posture of the dad at the very beginning of this crisis um that changes pretty dramatically in the in the middle of it because of some confrontations but I think that's something that all of us have a tendency to slide into for ourselves when we find sort of crisis times is just, hey, now's the time where I need to care about myself. Now's the time where I need to look out for myself. My survival is the utmost and most important thing. And I think in the narrative, I'll call out to this one moment and then, you know, we can sort of talk about other examples throughout the film or talk about this theme in general. But, you know, when the dad... At first, when the zombie attack happens, he's about to close the door on, you know, our our friend with the pregnant wife. He's about to slam the door on him and not let them in because he had these all these other people to think about. And obviously, when you first saw it, I don't know if you picked up on this because I remembered it the second time around 
when he slams the door on him, I was like, oh, that guy later saves your daughter. Right. Like, right. and you wouldn't have made it to your daughter in time had that guy, had you not, you know, that guy not made it in. Right. And it's something that, as listeners have probably come to expect for us, all this, you know, this sort of drumbeat that we hit about, you know, care for people as people and more than you matters. But I definitely think that's indicative in the narrative of this film that these people need each other to survive through this thing. And if they don't, if they just care for themselves, the people in the narrative of the film who do only care for themselves, they all eventually just wipe out. And those, specifically the dad and the, I'll call him the husband, you know, the husband of the pregnant wife. So the husband and the dad, they do lose their lives, but they successfully save the people sure. that they cared about. Sure. Because, sure. you know, so, so they gave up their lives in this very intentional manner right. to, to make sure that their loved ones were safe versus the others who just lost their life because they were continually trying to save themselves. And I think that's something that the film sort of wears Gosh, on its sleeve. That scene is dreadful when the, the sisters, the older sisters. Oh, goodness. And oh, she goes man. and lets them all in. Ugh, yeah. Rough. But I mean, it's, it's, it is one of those things. It's a very sort of karmic moment because right, they kicked, right. you know, they kicked all of these other people out and those other people would have been in that car barricaded in with them when the sister opened the door sure. and let all of the infected in. So I, and what I wrote down and, you know, again, we can bandy this about a bit, but it's, it's kind of self-explanatory. So I don't know how much unpacking we'll want to do, but what I wrote down is, uh, the barriers that we often build in the name of protection condemning others to certain death without care in doing so we often orchestrate our own destruction so i know that's mm. a really haughty sentence let me break it down in pieces but you're a haughty guy so i am a haughty guy um <laughs> that uh you know we build sort of these i'm not trying to be political here but we build these sort of walls in the name of our own protection and say like oh you know I, i'm gonna i'm gonna barricade myself in and who cares about everybody else? They, they right. got to fend for themselves. It only matters that I protect myself and that I'm, that I'm cared for. Well, in that very specific narrative moment, they kicked all of those people out. And I'm not saying that the sister wouldn't have still gone and opened the door. Sure, sure. But they kicked all those people out and then used clothing to barricade the door so that it couldn't be opened in the name of protection. And that's what ultimately, so they couldn't get the door open when the infected came in. Right. Because right. they had done so for their own protection, but then wound up building their own trap, which destroyed them. And I think in a broader thematic way, I think that happens rather frequently where people at their own peril will shut themselves in and close themselves off and say, I'm the only one that matters in this situation. My survival is of the utmost importance. And in doing so are really sort of encasing themselves in their, in their own tomb as it sure. were yeah, yeah um and uh and so that's one of the most prominent things that sort of stood out to me it's really the only theme that i have but i know it's a kind of a heavy one so i just sort of left it at that 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 we do we orchestrate our own destruction when we think that we are the only ones who make a difference or matter in times of crisis so what you're saying is walls are bad i am saying the walls are bad i'm saying the, wa <laughs> I'm saying the walls keep I'm saying that walls keep bad people out, but they also, unfortunately, keep us trapped in with all of our own infected nastiness. Yes. And that is something that we're, that we don't usually consider in the conversations about protection and the conversations about, well, we need to, we need to take care of ourselves and we need to make sure that we are of the utmost 
security. You know, we've talked before on this show about the idolatry of safety and how we can we can idolize feeling safe and secure and protected, never realizing that like <laughs> it's it's already in here with us. Sure. Like sure. It, like it, it, there's no keeping it out. We talked extensively in our conversation about the village, about M Night Shyamalan's The Village, about how you cannot escape that nature simply by secluding yourselves and hiding away. Like right. like you can't do it. It's going to find its way in. And so the answer is simply not to, you know, barricade and barrier yourselves down. That just doesn't work. It doesn't. Piggybacking on some of what you are, because I'm with you, like, there's a pretty, it's funny, I had this thought watching the movie where, you know, that feeling when you watch a movie, sometimes it's typically like an action oriented or a comic book movie where, oh, of course, now we're at the part where the bad guy fights the good guy. You know, like, it, right. it just sort of, na- the, the, the narrative narrows to this kind of fine point. Well, it's funny because in this movie, at the start of it, you would never think that ridiculous businessman guy is, quote unquote, the bad guy. You know what I mean? But right. the narrative kind of serves that construct because, well, they're on a train together and the narrative just sort of keeps moving and people get keep getting eaten and picked off so that ultimately it doesn't feel as easy or convenient that the two of them are one of the last ones left. You know what I mean? Right. Um, right. As a lot of other action movies do. But I know it's kind of random, but it, your your sort of classism kind of idea made me think of that. So I had this theme, and, and I'm sure you will have some thoughts on it too, because I think the, I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty sure I know the scene kind of resonated a lot with you. But the phrase I wrote, and then I had some coffee in the early afternoon today, which is not normal for me, and I think it fired my brain up, and I started writing down a bunch of other stuff. Um, but the phrase I had written down. Um, was your song signals your surviving. Mm. And it is funny that music and singing have become a theme of this particular episode. But <laughs> um, in trying to unpack this, specifically I'm referring to the final scene with the girl right. in the tunnel. But just in my own life, I've been kind of thinking about some things lately. And this is, you know, what you do. So my, my job, I, I work in a sales-based environment. I'm in the car a lot. And so when you're just kind of by yourself in the car, you either call your good buddy and podcast co-host or you, you, or <laughs> you listen. random conversations. Right, right. Or you listen to new killer songs or you're just lost with your own thoughts when you're trying not to pay attention to the politics of the world. But... <laughs> Which is hard not to do. Yes, it was. But I was, I, well, and actually I was, I was listening to NPR and David Sedaris was featured oh, yeah. on an episode and, and he was reading some poetry. And, uh, you know, the, the David Sedaris element of this conversation is, is, is not the primary thing as much as the poetry. And I was thinking about just, okay, so I work in a sales based environment. It's primarily kind of money driven. I work with people who are very conscious of money and want to make more and want to make the most and want to make the, you know, just, just money, money, money. Um, good people, good people. Uh, but you know, just kind of in that system. And then I'm listening to NPR about poetry and I'm just thinking like the active thought I had was, and I'm going to unpack this, um, for all you poet laureates that listen to us. But I thought, (laughs) I thought what a wasteful exercise poetry, Mm. you know, like poetry in a vacuum is just kind of a pointless endeavor. You know, Mm. it feels like, I'm going to, I'm going to rattle on for a minute and you can interrupt as you want to, you know, poetry, it's, it's like tinkering, uh, but instead of with Legos or Lincoln logs, you're using words, using syllables, sounds, rhythm, that sort of thing. But the businessman, the salesman, the money driven person would say, there's no room, there's no time, there's no importance 
to tinkering, right? Yeah. Like the significance of your life is determined by wealth building, by status, and those sorts of things, material type of gain. Right, right. But it's interesting, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be a little on the nose here for a moment, but like, what is the final version of someone living that way? Like, what is, if, if your sole means are just accrual and gain and, you know, pursuit and achievement, well, they're concerned with nobody. Right. They care about little but themselves and their desires. You're about to see where I'm going with this. Their cravings, their hunger, if you will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They are themselves zombie-esque, just kind of shuffling yeah. towards the next dollar. Right. And you, right. you, you brushed up against this quote. I'll call it out real specifically. There are two quotes that really guided this theme from the movie. And one of them was the dad to the daughter that said, at a time like this, only watch out for yourself. Right. The, right. The, other, the other one that will spur me into the back end of this theme idea was the dad telling the daughter, and this is a heartbreaking line. The dad tells the daughter she doesn't have to be so good. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And I, and I was thinking about this sort of idea of the businessman and the, the culture creator, if you will, like poetry. Okay. Because a David Sedaris of the world, you know, people who engage in, you know, poetry, writing, the arts, that is, that is culture creation, right? That is right. Right. It, uh, these things reflect back to us where we've been. They remind us who we are. They inspire us to what we can be. Um, mm-hmm. they instill us, they instill, they instill in us breath, imbue in us life. It requires no bravery to chase the dollar. Right. I mean, I, I think, I think we would say that and, and agree on that. And it's what's fascinating about that in that paradigm is that the little girl in the movie is maybe the bravest character in it. She endured all she does. I'm, I know I'm just going off like a train here. Um, but I'm, I'm <laughs> That's getting appropriate to, for this episode. I, I know I'm getting to a station. I'm going to pull into the station here in a second. She endured all she does, including the horrific death of her father. She is constantly reminding him to be considerate of others, even in the face of the horror they're, they're dealing with. And at the end, she is emotionally carrying her own trauma and that of the pregnant bereaved woman with her in the black dark of an empty tunnel, unaware there are guns trained on her if she does right. the wrong thing. Right. right, right. And what does she do? She sings out. She mm-hmm. creates beauty in the ugliness. And yeah. I just think, hear me, this might be the mummy and Egypt all over again where I'm I'm running with more. I'm, I'm hopping on my own train and running into where this theme will take us. But mm. I just found something really powerful and fascinating about in the midst of the dead and, yeah. and, and the, the infected, the zombie, whatever we want to call them in this movie are the literal dead or the undead, if you will. Well, the movie makes a real clear judgment call on the class stuff. Right. 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 It does. You know, it, you're clearly meant to, to indict the dad a bit for his attitude. Um, you're, you're definitely meant to be at odds sort of philosophically with the business guy. Um, oh the, yeah. The final if not guy. outright hate him. Right. So, so it's kind of like the only thing that survives is creation, is culture, is right. beauty. I don't know, man. I just found that a really powerful takeaway like that even at the end of the movie, like, she has survived everything, but she is still under threat of death and she doesn't even yeah. know it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that's a really powerful image. The only thing that saves her life and the life of this woman and the life of this unborn child is creating. And I just yeah. found that a really beautiful picture. Yeah. And it, 
you know, get hearkening back to the narrative and hopefully not diverting too much from what you're saying that it's so it's so fitting too because they call out in the narrative that she learned that song for him and she yeah, couldn't remember yeah, it because she yeah. couldn't see him anymore and what's so beautiful about i mean the, it's the lyrics cuz for those of you who have not seen the film if you if you're listening to us since we're still to interrupt much, you it's very much worth watching so if you haven't seen it it really is worth your time yes please yeah, yeah. please see it but you know she She's learned this song that she was supposed to sing at school. Dad didn't make the recital, so she couldn't finish it. And she was very embarrassed, and they call back to the fact that she couldn't finish this song. So then after her father has died, and she's wandering with this pregnant woman through that tunnel, then she starts singing, and the song is Aloha O, this song about we'll meet again. You know, it's it's this sentiment that, you know, we will see each other again. And beyond the passage of time, beyond the changing of the seasons, beyond life and death, we will see each other again. We will meet each other again. So it's not only just what you're articulating about how beautiful it is in the fact that she's singing life into that moment, even beyond her own awareness. Sure. But it's also the actual lyrics of the song. Right. right. this, This hopeful pushing forward of and for her father (laughs) you know like for you know as as kind of almost a tribute to her father i mean the whole it's this complete conglomeration of narrative and emotional beats that just move me so deeply when i think well it's it's funny as you're even talking this is this is firing in my brain so you know back in our you know theater classes of, of of your you know we would talk about in sort of story analysis like whose story is it okay this the, the, oh right the story a, a, a character who is the primary primary protagonist is the one who changes that's the, the idea of you know kind of who's the main character well you could ostensibly say maybe it's the dad but what's fascinating right. about this conversation is her inability to sing the song previously is right. is a sign of need it's a sign of dependence it's a sign of codependence even as as rightfully so she's a seven-year-old child right right and yet at the end untethered from all of these things she is kind of a new person yeah you know and is able to sing this song she is the one who undergoes the most dramatic change perhaps if we're really you know kind Mm -hmm. of assessing the story but but anyway i I don't want to get into you know too many too much academic side of things but i was just so really blown away and i think that I mean, in a very, to, to bring it perhaps into, into the station finally and, and with whatever else you may add, you know, scripturally or, or thematically, like that, that's, that's, that's our call, right? Yes. It's, yes. it's as we walk amongst the dead, mm-hmm. we hold the hand of those in need and we create beauty. Yes, absolutely. Even, even under, even under threat of our own life. And it's, it's funny too. I didn't, uh, I, I, for, for this film, I wasn't quite sure exactly where to go scripturally. And of course, the on the nose scripture is the scriptures that talk about don't show favoritism and, you know, don't give people of a higher station more importance than people of a lower station. But even just as you're talking about this, I'm not going to read the whole passage of scripture because it's just uh, it's a narrative story. So it's too long. I'll just summarize it. But in Acts chapter 16, um, the story of when Paul and Silas were preaching the gospel and then they were thrown into prison. And when they were when they were thrown into prison, Acts chapter 16 and verse 25 says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and Hmm. the other prisoners were listening to them. And then it says in verse 26, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prisons were shaken 
and all at once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. And so what happens in the end of the story is the jailer comes and finds that the prison has basically been demolished and starts to end his own life because he thinks all the prisoners have escaped. Paul and Silas step out and said, no, 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 don't harm yourself. We're all we're all still here. So what's beautiful about that moment and juxtaposing it back into Train of Busan is they they chose in the midst of entrapment and in the midst of, you know, we've been wrongfully sort of put in this position and they chose to pray and to sing hymns to God. And in that story, at least, the very foundations of their surroundings began to shake and sure. began to fall apart in their, in their, as to use your language you used earlier, in their singing life into the death. You know, sure. that they literally, then the prison falls apart. The prison doesn't hold amidst such profound expression of beauty in suffering. And then as a result, not only all the prisoners give their lives to, to Jesus in that story, but the jailer himself and all of his whole family. Like it changes, it changes the entire dynamic of everything. Well, I, I'm going to, I'm going to put a really nice, pretty little bow on this, uh, <laughs> because I'm going to, I'm going to circle back around. You're going to appreciate this. Um, what is a prison other than walls that are imposed upon people? What were you saying earlier? What happens when we enclose ourselves? We, oh, we yes. then suffer the the our, our own peril for that right. enclosure, and you know what happens when faithful followers of Jesus, enclosed in mm. man made walls, sing out hymns of, of faithfulness. Mm -hmm. The friggin' walls come tumbling down, man. Yes, you know. Yes, there it's you go. so it's so true, and we don't. And oh man. Okay, we should probably wind down, but I'm just going to throw this out there, and I hope I don't rev both of us up. <laughs> it's one thing. Are you going to start singing? Are you going to catch I'm not going to start singing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's one thing to sit in the midst and cry, we've been wronged, we've been done wrong, we're going we're gonna to take back what's ours, we're going to reclaim, we're going to, you know, it's one thing to sort of sing out a song of self-preservation. That's sure. one thing. Sure. And as we've illustrated in the narrative of the film, what we usually do is just further deepen our own entrenchment and our own destruction when we do right. that. But when we sing out songs, as you've said, of the goodness and faithfulness of God, of the goodness and faithfulness of Christ, when we sing out those songs, then the, the encroachments don't stand up. Sure. Or if you will, the gates of hell won't stand against it. Yeah. And, and everything begins to dissolve and to fall apart. And how... How much, man, if we would just instead sing the songs and and allow our faithfulness to shine through, even in the midst of tremendous crisis, sure. even in the midst of utmost persecution or devastation, which we really don't, I don't think we really suffer to an, to an intense degree in this country, but even throughout the world to sing out that song and then to just watch as ripple effects throughout time as the as the walls just come tumbling down and suddenly people are freed and people want to know about who was that you were singing about? What was that right. you were singing about? Right. And and let that and change you're like, the world. Well, hop on the train to Busan, brother. I got to take you somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Aloha. Oh. Oh. <laughs> um, well, that's, so, yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Stuff. I mean, I, I we could go off for another hour, movie. but I think I think we've made our point And I think that's probably a good way to wind it to, to just wind it down and just say, like, yeah. Make your choice, listeners, ladies and gentlemen, faithful friends, make your choice. 
when you sit in the midst of crisis, uh, do you, you know, sing the songs of desolation and woe is me and I've been wronged and I need to take back justice? Or do you sing the songs of freedom and freedom. liberation? And, and let me say too on that. Are you going to have just, some like Bob Marley as the outro on this? No, no, I'm not okay. going to do that. Um, <laughs> but, but let me also say too that that doesn't mean that you don't cry up for justice. It doesn't sure. mean that you don't cry out for the oppressed and that you don't cry out to see right be made right. That's not what we're talking about. You know, we're talking about because those are others, because those are others minded. Exactly. That's others minded. That's not self minded. Right. Victim mentality is contrary to faithful living. And it's something that. We have to be mindful of that we cannot sit back and say, hey, well, woe is me. I am such a victim. I, I need to survive. Because you know what happens when the train slows down and you get off the train and you're like, I'm such a victim. And you're like, oh, my God, there's a whole military battalion of <laughs> zombie people. I need to get back Infected. on the train. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> on that. On that note, uh, if you feel okay with it, let us uh, sally forth. Um, one last uh-huh. one one last stop on this, uh, you know, locomotive, and that is sure. uh, to our friend, the one and only David S. Pumpkins. Yes, so, yes, yes. as we do on every episode, we are going to measure Train to Busan against a metric of our of our choosing that of numbers of David S. Pumpkins one zero through five on mm-hmm. three specific categories, that being style, scares, and substance. Um, so Reed, starting with style, zero to five David S. Pumpkins, how do you rate Train to Busan? Okay, so uh, way more qualification than I need. I'm going to give it a 4.5. The reason, I don't, uh, the reason I don't give it a solid five, because my enjoyment level would probably be a solid five. The reason I don't give it a solid five is because there are a number of cliches and tropes. I think it's just so well executed that it overrides those cliches and those tropes. So that's why I land at 4.5 rather than a solid five. But I, I love it on a five level. I, um, see, I, I would, I'm going to stick with what I was going to say. I'm going to give it a solid four, that, which okay. is not a dismissal or a depreciation whatsoever. Um, I think the four is a very hearty endorsement of sure. enjoyment. Sure. Um, sure so on the subject of scares, I am actually going to go, uh, I'll start. Um, I'm going to give it a three. I think. Okay. I think there's a lot of sort of, you know, strong imagery and certain elements. I don't think on the whole, the movie is kind of scary, petrifying, you know, kind of movie. So I'm going to give it a solid three. Yeah. uh, For a similar notion, I'm going to give it a 3.5. It's not the kind of film, I think, tonally that will give anybody any nightmares. It's very tense in especially the action and and the uh, sort of the zombie attack scenes. It's very tense and nerve wracking, but not in a nightmarish sort of way. It's just sure. more of sort of the action suspense thriller vibe than it is necessarily like a scares. So I gave it a 3.5. Got it. Um, lastly, for substance, how would, how would you rank substance on Train to Busan? For substance, I gave it a four. Um, yep. I feel like its themes are, are pretty on the nose and I feel like its themes are pretty, pretty obvious, but I feel like, again, it's just so tightly constructed, um, that it all works really well and overrides uh, sort of further dings to it. So, so yeah, I, I feel comfortable with a four. Uh, I'm going to echo your four and give it a four myself. I'm going to see your four. And, uh, <laughs> you know, for, for pretty much the exact same reasons you say. I, I do think uh, a four is a strong number for what is generally perhaps just a, a more 
you know, like, like if it was just a standard kind of zombie movie, but I think the movie really does by the end of it ramp up into some places that are a bit unexpected, um, in terms of substance and theme. So that's why for me, the four. So yeah. Sure. Sure. I gotcha. So in the spirit of that, it looks like the train to Busan is coming into the station at a hearty 7.5 David S. Pumpkins. Any questions? <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty good number. I don't know how that I like that number. To, to that number feels centuries, right. But that feels like a good number for this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, read, right. man. I'm glad we, you know, it's a bit of a newer movie. I'm glad we covered this one. It was a lot. It was a really good movie. Really, uh, yeah. robust conversation as always. I expect no less in talking with you. Um, sure. thank, thank you for, uh, and encouraging us to, uh, to, to hop on that train. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. And, uh, if you'd like to hop on the train with us, cause as we say every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but it is not the end of the conversation. Uh, you can do so in a variety of ways. You can reach out to us, uh, in a number of avenues. First and easiest is probably through Twitter. Nathan, what is our Twitter handle? At the fear of God. You can also email us fear of God podcast at gmail.com. That's all one word fear of God podcast at gmail.com. Please also email us with your hashtag I love the 90s nominations list you have until July 1st to submit us your list for nominations. After that, we'll be doing the actual ranking. Um, you can also like us on Facebook. You can post there or comment on one of the posts that we've made. You can follow me on Twitter at Reed Lackey. And Nathan, where can they find you on Twitter? At the Nathan Rouse. That's right. You can also go to morethanonelesson.com and leave a comment on the official post for this uh, episode or any of the other episodes that we've done. Um, and if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate, very much appreciate an iTunes review. So pop over. It's quick and easy and really the most effective way to broaden our listenership out there. So we thank you so much uh, for listening. Nathan, thank you so much for riding this train with me to, uh, to Busan. Yes, uh, likewise. So, uh, so yeah, so uh, follow social media to see where we're going to be going next week. And uh, we will see you guys then.